podcast one production. commentator and journalist Greg Rust and this is Rusty's Garage. In this episode I'm at a racetrack in southeast Queensland about an hour's drive from Brisbane where supercars teams test and race. The bloke I'm about to talk to is regarded as the greatest of all time in this sport, the GOAT. Now with seven championships and more than a hundred race wins it's Jamie Winkup, and his love of cars started early on in his childhood thanks to his uncle. Uncle Graham used to race cars. He had a Chevy Monza, which he pretty much built himself, and there were only a couple of them around. I know Bob Jane drove one for a bit. Um, so, yeah, that was the ultimate, you know, that was the beast um, that I aspired to drive one day. What was your first road car? My first road car was a baby blue V. What was it? What was it? A VH Commodore. This is special. So it was a, like a baby. So it was sky blue. Um, great car. It's my grandfather's car. He he was getting up pretty old, and he uh, he stopped too close to the railway tracks and the boom. gate come down, and hit the roof. So Dad and my uncle Grant said, "You're you're finished driving." I was turning eighteen about the same time. They put a new radiator in it for me. Give it a, give it a cut and polish, and that was my first car. Has anyone in the family kept it, or has it moved on now? It's moved on. I'd love to be able to find it one day. I, I haven't actively gone looking for it, but if I could find it, I'd certainly get it back. Um, I ended up buying uh, my next car was a VT Commodore. That was the first car I brought. I saved up my money, went and got a bank loan and spent $19,000 on a VT Commodore Bellina and I sold the VH for $1,500 and brought a new set of wheels for the VT, which was equal, equal money. <laughs> Saw some great pics of a seven-year-old Jamie Wincup racing carts recently. I think it was Remo Racing, Remo Luciani, was it back in those yeah, days? Yeah. A guy who's out of uh, Horsham in Victoria, former racer who preps and runs carts now. Tell me about the first cart that Jamie Wincup owned. So we were good family friends with uh, Mick Webb. Mick Webb. Mick Webb ran Oscars. He, he raced himself. He he's he's uh, got a, a rich history in motorsport. Um, and his son Michael, who I'm good mates with, um, raced rookies, little rookie cart. And my father and uncle brought the the cart off him. Uh, painted it bright red. Every every car my uncle had was bright red. Painted it bright red, and uh, that was my first go kart. It was a Swiss Hutless rookie cart. You say that you're a bit of a lost kid back then, but karting kind of gave you some direction and it came, it became something for you and for the family that was huge. 40 weekends a year you were doing it in the end, weren't you? Yeah, it was a big deal and I'm, I'm very thankful for it. Um, sport, sport's great. You know, all, the, all my mates at school were hey, they're having a good time playing footy, but um, karting for me, we, we, we travelled, travelled as a family, spent time as a family and we competed. You know, I'm I'm a comp- everyone says, oh, gee, you're so competitive, Jamie. You can't, you, we, we can't have a simple game of botchy in the park <laughs> without you getting too competitive with it. And uh, unfortunately, well, not unfortunately, I've, been, I've grown up with it, you know. Since I was seven years old, every weekend was compete, um, respect your opposition and enjoy beating them. Still have a cart in the garage now? Do you get out occasionally? I do have a cart, yeah. I've, um, I've just 
Michael Patrizzi, ex, ex car racer. Um, he's he runs a cart team now, so I've got the I've got the best setup of all time. He stores the cart, takes it to the track for me, and uh, we've got a good group of mates together, uh, and we all go karting, you know, four or five times a year. Um, it really, it's a great thing. It just reminds me of what motorsports all about. You know, this this V8 category, this you know, it's a lot of money. It's very commercialised, and we do have a lot of fun out there competing. But getting back in the carts with your mates and just battling it out, it's just refreshing to understand what motorsport's all about. Like most youngsters, you progress through uh, from four, for, from carts to Formula Ford, uh, single-seaters, no wings, Ford engine. Uh, that's unearthed some great stars, that category, over the last 50 years or so. But at that stage, you didn't necessarily think you might make a career out of this, did you? No, no not at all. I, I don't think... I don't think many people do. It's, it's it's a hobby. It's a thing to do on the weekend. If anything, you, you work all week and, uh, and and then you spend your money on the weekend driving your car around in circles. But um, one thing led to another and all of a sudden, you know, opportunities opened up and I I thought, wow, you know, next minute um, my profession was, uh, was was my hobby all, all rolled into one. And, um, you know, there's, there's a very small percentage of the population that can say their hobby is their profession. So I'm very, very thankful for it. Supercars are essentially a, a family rocket on, on steroids. The bodywork resembles what you see in the dealership, but the engineering, the IP underneath, what goes into it, it transforms them. More than 640 horsepower, a lot of passion for this sort of racing in, in these parts, and there's a bit of an art to driving them. What did you think the first time you drove one? What are your memories? I just couldn't believe the power. Well, I was at Melilla on the outskirts of Adelaide, um, I got an opportunity to drive through a family friend and, and whatnot. Ross Halliday was the um, was was the owner of the car, and just blown away by the power. I'd come out of a 110 horsepower Formula Ford into a <laughs> 650 horsepower V8 supercar, you know, on on full uh, full gas. So I was literally two seconds behind the cars, hanging on. At that so I knew what I was doing, but I was certainly hanging on. And the lack of wind. I've raced go-karts in Formula Ford. You crack your visor and you get so much so much air in the helmet. It's ridiculous. Uh, to be inside a car with a windscreen with no air circulating, it was a, it was a very weird feeling. I know from riding in them, they actually feel like a, a bucket of bolts as you trundle down along, a, you know, sort of 40 k's an hour in the pit lane. But then it all comes to life the moment you unleash all that grunt. Does it still give you the same kind of buzz as Malala to this day? It, it doesn't no, without that, like when you don't feel the power anymore you, you get used to the power mm-hmm. you absolutely never um, get used to the, the grip and just maximising a car on new tyres and qualifying that the feeling you get when you get it alright and you feel that rhythm uh, and extract the most out of the car that's a money can't buy experience that you never ever get used to um, the only time you do realise you're going fast is when you have a bit of a moment at a place like Phillip Island you might drop a wheel <laughs> off or something might happen and then you decide yourself oh yeah let's abort this lap and let's just slow the car up and then the time it takes to actually get back to a, a normal speed it takes forever and that's it's only those times when you realize actually exactly how quick you're going i used the word art before because it is like that to drive them at the limit how hard is it to get to that point where you know you can go lap after lap at that marker 
Well, there's there's a lot of psychology in that, personally, and a, and a lot of psychology from uh, the car giving you the good feedback to be able to actually find that limit, you know. So it's a big combination of, of the two. But as I say, the you know finding finding the limit of a car or extracting the most out of it for however many corners there are on a track and get that get that lap out in qualifying on the on the big stage. That's a um, that that's a cool thing. That's what we do it for. Every aspect of performance is analysed in this game. Do you enjoy that side, the engineering side? I, I do. I do to a point. As I say, the the um, it's it's great to get out here and just absolutely try to find the most out of the car. But then at the same time, it's great to go back and just jump in the go kart. We're still moving the wheels in and out and adjusting the tyre pressure and trying to go quicker. But we've just simplified the whole thing, and then it just becomes. It's all of a sudden that's a lot of fun as well. So. Um, you know, as I said, the, the car racing thing's awesome. Trying to trying to get right into that engineering, but then at the same time keeping it simple is great. Also, I enjoy both sides. Did you learn a lot of that craft from your karting when you were a youngster? And do you develop a bit of a bit of a language along the way so you can converse with the engineers and let him know what the car is doing? I I think you know ninety. Over 90% of your skill comes from go-karting. You know, where the racing that went on back when I was, you know, 12 years old with Will Davo and Mark Winterbottom and whatnot in, in cars, the same battles are still going on. It's, we're just in the, the cars are a bit bigger and they're a little bit more expensive to fix when it, when it all goes wrong. <laughs> but it's the same, the same thing. That all your race cars and everything comes when you when you're a youngster. From memory, you turned professional about 2002, and those early years were probably by your own admission character building lost the drive at Gary Rogers you got on the phone and you hustled for things like that opportunity with the legendary Larry Perkins you even finished 10th there at Bathurst with Alex Davis and car had no brakes yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> at the end yeah. in that period did you ever lose the passion for it? Oh, um, no no I never lost the passion for racing but I questioned the whole V8 supercar category um, it, it was it, it was hard work. I went through a, a real tough year with Gary, and then of course with Larry, where they were they were hard nuts. You know what I mean? They uh, they they just um, called a spade a spade. And I thought, do I really want to be involved with this? You know what I mean? <laughs> but um, I moved on and, and did a year with Kevin Murphy at um, at Tasman, and then got involved with Roland, who are also hard nuts, but they're they're hard but fair. You know what I mean? It's it's, it's certainly a regional environment, and um, it wasn't until then that I realised, hey, this this game's a good one. It's um, it's tough, but there's there's good people involved, and um, something people I, I always like to surround myself with good people. You've now been here at the Triple Eight organisation, one of the best teams in this part of the world for 12 years. In that time, six championships, Bathurst wins, a century of race wins. Is there one trophy that you treasure the most and why? Um, Trophy-wise, um, it's all the, the surfboard is classic. We say it when we're at um, the Gold Coast, but it's true. Grabbing a surfboard, taking a surfboard home is a cool feeling. But uh, one race, one race win that uh, always sticks to mind is race one, 2012 at uh, Clipsville 500. Passing Dave with half a lap to go after uh, after the, my father passed away the week before. That was um, that was pretty special. That was pretty surreal. Got we uh, we pitted a third time. So we did an extra pit stop, and the car was. Fantastic! I was just doing quality lap after quality lap and, um, yeah, got there with half a lap to go. Let's talk about Kate now. Yeah. Nickname for an enormously successful Holden Commodore, the AAA built. Yeah. You now own it. Yeah. Firstly, who christened it Kate and why? 
I named her. I named her Kate. Um, you're never going to get the the reason why she's named Kate. Um, but that that race I was talking about in 2012. I was driving Kate at the time. Um, I I used her for two and a half years. Um, so it was debuted at the start of 2010. Went to another car for the end of 010. Didn't like it. So went back to Kate for 11 and 12. Um, so she's very special because of that race particularly for me but at the end of the day it was that car um, was the end of the Vodafone era um, it was the end of that that old style car before we went to the car of the future um, it's won two championships it's won Bathurst the 50th anniversary uh, with my good mate Paul Dumbrell but it's it's won more races than any other car in the history of the sport so you go back through every single car that's been involved in the, the touring car and Viet supercar and now supercar championship um she stands on top just 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 above um that ambrose ba and i think scathe's vt so very special car um Talking to the you know the greats of the sport of Bob Jane, Larry, um, you know Jimmy Richards, they all they all got advice to keep one of your cars. Whatever you do, keep one of your cars. So I, I took on that advice and made sure I, you know it's, that 2012 car was very special. So I, I grabbed that, completely restored it, and uh, it's my most prized possession sitting at home in the garage. Let's talk more about that then. Was it hard convincing your boss, Roland Dane, to part with it? <laughs> <laughs> Not really. No, he. I think he was happy for me that uh, to, to have that car. He, um, he he gave it to me for you know for pretty much chicken feed, nothing, and, and helped me restore it. So um, the ironic thing is, he actually owns the 2000. He owns chassis 10, which is the car that won Bathurst in 2006, the better electrical one. Um, he's there's a. It's been moved around in between. Um, in between showrooms and whatnot, but it's that the, the both cars are actually sitting beside each other um, in, in, in my factory at the Gold Coast. So it's it's pretty cool those cars sitting together. Um, I get get a, a mechanic down every every twelve months just to turn the cars over, and make sure they're, they're staying fresh. But it's a great sight, chassis town and Cater living living at home together. Were you hands on in that restoration process? No, I wasn't. I wish I, I'd like to say I was, but um, my ex ex number one mechanic Gary Bailey who worked with me in 06, 07, 08. Um, he was retired. He had a, a workshop up at Toowoomba. So we sent the car up there and he um, he, he stripped it right back to the chassis, repowdicoded the chassis. It's got brand new radiator, tyres, brakes. Everything's been completely redone. Engine's all been rebuilt. The engine that that, that won Bathurst in 2012, um, all fresh paint. It's, it's a brand new race car and, um, as I said, most prized possession. This is Greg Rust, and you're listening to Rusty's Garage. More with Jamie Wincup in a moment. In this series, we're not only focused on the machines with four wheels, but also ones with two. 
Motorcycle rider Troy Bayliss and I spoke about his time living in Monaco, learning to speak Italian so he could communicate with his racing team mechanics at Ducati, to his return to Australia with the family. So hard after all them years away and then you come home and you're so used to being racing week in, week out and maybe the the spotlight, I don't know about the spotlight, but the winning or, or the the competition. Uh, when I went down to see the team at Phillip Island for the first round of the World Superbikes, I was like, like so depressed. I, I couldn't, I could hardly even go into the box and speak to the guys. Just felt so wrong to even be there. And that felt, I felt like that for years. But I sort of, you know, I, I test used to go back and test the bikes and and do a bit of work with the guys, and always was always thinking, no, I should be back there racing. Plus, he let me in on a secret that his fans will be excited to hear. Listen to the full episode with Troy Bayliss here on Rusty's Garage. Hoon, a lout or hooligan, especially a young man who drives recklessly. As we record this interview, we're sitting in the team's transport of the, the trailer. The old version... You were able to borrow. You've got a truck driver's licence, so you went and physically picked up Kate and drove it home. Tell us about that. Yeah, yeah. So I, I spent three days of my life getting my B-double licence, my, my multi-MC, the multi-combination, um, just for if I needed it, for if I ever needed it. So, um, yeah, it was a good opportunity. So I rang Roland up and said, I need to borrow the truck and uh, jumped in the truck and off I went to Toowoomba. Forgetting about the range, I didn't realise the Toowoomba range was you, you go up a kilometre and back down again. So I was on the phone, hands free of course, to the uh, to the truckies, and I'm like, "How do I get this thing in low gear? And then how do I work the engine brakes?" But we got a little sorted before I got to the range and before I come back down. Um, but brought the car back, um, took took it back to my garage, unloaded it. And put her home and then uh, we went back to the workshop and then the tail lift broke so thank god that broke <laughs> thank god it was very close we could have had a broken tail lift in Toowoomba it would have been in big trouble but uh, got it got it done and um, yeah I don't mind the truck I've, I've done a few bucks parties and I'm always sober Bob I'm always the one you've got a race in the next weekend that can't drive so I'm always the one driving the minibus around or something so a, uh, a truck licence is, is valuable for that Could you get anything more removed from a supercar than, yeah. than driving a truck? <laughs> Not really but we do um, we do a few events up through the country and you know we, we do a couple of towns here and there so and have the car on display so um, love the opportunity any opportunity I can get to, uh, to drive the truck I jump in it's quite peaceful actually it's like anyone that's driven a ride on a lawnmower and you mowed the lawn for the day it's it's similar feeling it's, it's actually quite peaceful supercars still has its beloved v8s but with an eye on the future as well and the team here is now developing a twin turbo v6 yeah. what's it like it sounds phenomenal i think yeah it, it sounds great um it is the future and i'm i'm just thankful that um that, that, that Roland just keeps throwing out challenges you know what I mean we, we, it's it's never never a dull moment it's never never gets stale here I've been here for 12 years and there's always something new on the go or something exciting to look forward to and this V6 twin turbo is, is just another step in that so um there's some work to do, without doubt. It's our first first engine put in the car. Sounds great, but there's so much more to come. We'll um, we'll, we'll develop that engine, make it a, a you know real real hardy horsepower. You know, a, a, a high high developed racing engine. Um, so at the moment, needs some work, but you know we'll get there, and it'll be a good thing. And I'm sure uh, I'm, I'm sure the you know the fans on the hill will, will appreciate the sound, appreciate the work on how much power we're getting out of it, six cylinder.
as you and I talk, you're right in the battle for the Supercast Championship. And you started the year superbly too, mate, with Craig Lowndes, a win in the Bathurst 12-hour in the Ferrari 488 GT3. What was that set of wheels like? I mean, very different machine to the Holden Commodore you're in most weekends. Yeah, a massive eye-opener. I say I've I've been very limited in the cars I've driven. I've driven a go-kart, a Formula Ford, a few other little small cars here and there, but then I've moved into supercar and that's pretty much all I've, all I've driven. So um, opportunities to drive other cars have been uh, few and far between just because I put so much commitment into the, the supercar thing. Um, so to do Race of Championships is great, but then uh, on top of that, to race a million-dollar Ferrari around Bathurst for the 12-hour uh, and then to stand on the top step of the podium, um, that, was a, that was a great experience, one I'm very, very happy I, uh, I committed to and, and made the most of and, and to team up with Lounsey again right? team, team up with Lounsey I think since 2009 so for us to jump back in and be teammates after six years was good fun Are there other cars like that maybe even other events globally that you might like to try at some stage? Of course of course you know, there's Daytona there's Le Mans there's all those all those cracking events around the around the country um, driving you know, GT cars as well is, um, is something that really appeals to me as I said I'm, I'm, I'm an all eggs in one basket sort of a guy. I'll just get, I'll be fully committed to one thing and then move on to the next. So I'm committed to this supercar championship. I don't want any distractions. Um, but at some stage, I'll you know I'll, I'll wind back and just be a, a co-driver, so to speak. And then um, certainly hope that I'm still young enough and still quick enough to be able to do some cool events here and there. Team are unpacking the truck. We can hear some of the noise in the in the background. Um, in the past 12 months, you opened a car wash cafe on the Gold Coast, hands-on throughout the build, throughout the, the running of it. What did you learn about caring for cars and, and things like that? Is there a secret to washing them? Oh, absolutely, yeah. But the, the old-school way of washing a car in the driveway with a bucket and sponge uh, still applies to a half-a-million-dollar um, tunnel, you know, full-blown tunnel car wash. So um, a lot of people get it wrong. But at the end of the day, you got to you got to wet the car down first, get most of the mud off, then apply the soap, and then of course you know wax and dry. So we um, we apply that basic principle, but just do it very well with some with some high tech equipment. Um, there's some good cars out there, but there's certainly some bad ones out there as well. You know, <laughs> there's some cars that come in with the front bumper bar sticky taped on, or you know, got some bubble gum on it. So uh, we've got to be real careful um, that you know that our machinery doesn't doesn't hurt the cars. But um, what's what's awesome, and especially and for the for the guys guys and girls that work for me, um, we get you know we get half a million dollar cars. We get all sorts of McLarens, new new Mercs. You know, um, there's a few Lambos around the area, Maseratis that we get absolutely the smorgasbord of uh, of exotic cars come through the car wash and um, it's it's cool I you know I, I love getting in I only drive 20 metres but it's certainly a good good buzz if memory serves you're quite fond of, of music too what do you listen to when you drive Oh, I'm all over the place. I'm really broad. There's not a. I'm not not a rap guy or or a rock or, um, you know, old school hip hop or anything broad. like that. I'm, yeah. I'm just broad. I just I just appreciate a good beat. I get the piss ripped out of me at times. <laughs> some of those some of those good beats are are fairly soft songs, you know, but um, just love a good beat. So I can't answer that, but say I, I just I love a good beat and it's quite broad. Life after racing. What will you do? Will you still be involved in the paddock here somewhere? Will you with team management? What, what will we do? Um, I, I may have a break, a short break, but I'm sure I won't be a, a, a away for a long time. 
you know, I got involved in this sport when I was seven years old. I've got no doubt I'll still be doing it when I'm seventy years old. Um, I've got a you know, I'd love to love to be involved in the team after I stop driving. Um, I feel like I've got a lot to offer um, in the sport. I, I'm a I'm a racer. I love love competing. So um, it's going to be a, it's going to be a sad day when I do decide to, to stop racing full time. But um, as I said, I'll be involved in this sport for a long time. You're not going to get rid of me too quick. A couple of final questions for you for a young bloke or girl coming through now. What advice would you give them about? competing in supercars, what the sport is like, what the cars are like to drive, what would you say to them? Um, well, I I do, I do a few school visits during the year and I, I do cringe at the young kids. It's it's fine to aim high, but I do cringe at the young kids that say, oh, I want to drive a V8 supercar, you know, uh, only because all the way through my go-karting and from the Ford days, I was never thinking of, of turning um, the hobby into a profession. I was just loving Day to live day to day, weekend to weekend, and was just and just absolutely focused on the next weekend, and didn't worry too much about the future. Um, when you get older, you got to plan the future. There's more responsibilities with families and and whatnot. But back then, just just live one weekend at a time, you know, and absolutely make the most of now. What's happening right now? Um, if you do get the opportunity, if you are point oh one percent of the population that, that gets through and and does turn their hobby into their profession, um, absolutely make the most of it. But never forget what sports all about, you know. Sport, sport is about um, enjoying it for what it is, competing, um, respecting your opposition, but enjoy beating them at the same time. Is there, you've already got Kate in the garage, we know yeah. that, is there a grail car or bike for Jamie Wincup that you would like in the in the garage one day? What is it and why? There is. There is a, a, a Nissan GTR with, uh, with a number one on the door. I think it was the 92 Bathurst winner. Um with Scafi and, and Jimmy Rich's name on the door, I, I'd love that car, no, without doubt. That was that's my first memories of uh, of touring car racing. Um, but I think it's I think it's got a million dollar price tag on it, so it's a bit out of my range. But uh, who knows? It might get cheaper one day, and I'll um, I'll certainly acquire it. Fittingly, as you and I have been chatting here, Jimmy's son Stevens on the other side of the <laughs> typing away at the computer, Bathurst winner in his own right. He and I would love uh, a good coffee, by the way, uh, a cap or a latte. Do you do those at the cafe? I, I can do. A good coffee. I can certainly supply that without doubt. <laughs> a few teething issues. I was just going through my new baskets for the uh, for the for the new machine I put in this morning. But um, any any time, boys, any time. On the next episode of Rusty's Garage, I talk with Robbie Madison, a modern day evil Knievel, adrenaline junkie, and engineering pioneer. This time, it's money that Robbie's putting on the line for a radical new type of motorcycle. You know, as a kid surfing on the south coast of Kiama, I'd always sit in the ocean. I, I used to think, how good would it be to jump off this way to that one over there? And now that's what my goal is. That's my, my vision. So I'm going to turn my KTM from 72 horsepower to 150 horsepower, supercharge it, and uh, the thing's going to float, and we're going to be able to do freestyle motocross in the water. Learn about his bike that floats and how Robbie lives his life all in on the next episode of Rusty's Garage. Rusty's Garage is recorded for Podcast One. Written and presented by me, Greg Rust. Series producer and editor is Alex Mitchell. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. If there's someone you want me to talk to on Rusty's Garage, get in touch on the show page at podcastone.com.au. Listen to all the episodes of Rusty's Garage at podcastone.com.au via the Podcast One app or find us on iTunes. I'm Greg Rust. Enjoy the drive. 
but drive safely. 